When you're in the market for a new car, you want a vehicle that conquers your daily commute, easily handles the elements, and looks great too. You need the reliability of a Toyota and the confidence that your investment will last. Why? Because after all the carpools, shopping trips, and weekends out, you want a car that still has plenty of miles left in it and holds its value for a great trade-in deal. That's where Toyota leads the pack as the number one resale value brand for 2024, according to Kelly Blue Book's KBB.com. So check out the all-new, fully redesigned 2025 Camry or test drive a stylish and affordable Corolla sedan or hatchback. And remember, when you choose Toyota, you're not just buying a car for today, you're investing in trade-in value for tomorrow. Visit buyatoyota.com, the official website for deals, for more. Vehicles projected resale value is specific to the 2024 model year. For more information, visit kellybluebookskbb.com. Kelly Blue Book is a registered trademark of Kelly Blue Book Company, Incorporated. Toyota, let's go places. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to build happier habits into your daily life. This week, we've got a bit of a theme. It's all about creativity. And we have a special guest, brilliant singer, songwriter, and author, Roseanne Cash. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft. I am a TV writer and producer living in LA, and Gretchen, I am often creatively challenged. <laughs> so I need this episode. Uh, and before we get started, a couple things. One is we were recently in Kansas City together, our hometown, and we shot a quick little video of ourselves in front of an outdoor, crazy outdoor sculpture at the Nelson Atkins Museum. So if you want to check that out, go to my website, GretchenRubin.com, for the podcast for episode 22. And a second thing, it's the final week of our survey call-out. Uh, we want to ask you for a little favor. Here at Panoply, we're trying to learn more about our podcast listeners. We want you to tell us about the podcasts you enjoy and how often you listen to them. So we created a survey that takes just a few minutes to complete. If you fill it out, you'll help Panoply make even greater podcasts about the things you love and maybe things you didn't even know you loved. So to fill out the survey, just go to panoply.fm slash survey, or you can click the link we've provided in the show notes for the episode. That's panoply.fm slash survey. That's FM like old time radio. Um, or you can click the link in the show notes. So thanks, and we'll get started. So Elizabeth, this week our try this at home tip is to save string. And that's a metaphor which I learned from some journalism 
people and it means to do things that let you save your ideas, like come up with a way to hang on to those little bits of ideas, those interesting associations, those any kind of pictures or quotations or anything uh, that fosters your creativity. Come up with a way to save that string. Yeah, I mean, I think this is huge for any writer, any creative person, Gretchen, uh, not just journalists. We, um, like, say, you know, I have my writing partner, Sarah, and I, we try to keep a whiteboard in our office that's just a place where we write down random ideas that ah. we may have on any given day. Right. And then we sort of always, you know, when we get into a space where we want to think what might we want to create, show-wise, we sort of look at our board and go through it and see if anything sparks. So it's like collecting just who knows what kind of idea and where it may lead. I think is it's a great idea because you never know when you're going to be inspired and you might not have time to deal with it right then. Right. And, you know, one of the things about your whiteboard, and this seems true for the way a lot of people say string, is it's visible. Ah. Like there's something, there's a, like you see a bunch of stuff. And like I know um, some people keep idea boards where they will post up a bunch of pictures or quotations or even just paint swatches or whatever it is. And they see them. You have those unexpected juxtapositions because you see all this stuff kind of haphazardly arranged, but sometimes that helps create ideas too. Yeah, absolutely. I think Pinterest is a sort of version of that on the computer. Yeah. Now, I have to use the computer. For me, when I do this, I have these giant, I have a very few giant documents where I put in all my notes. And I have to type it because my handwriting, for a <laughs> while I was keeping my favorite quotations by hand, but I just, my handwriting's so bad, it's easier for me to type it. And so I have these giant troves of notes where there's no organization to it. I just put everything in there. But for me, somebody keeps telling me, oh, you should use a scanner. You know, it'd be so much more efficient. But I worry that I would keep too much if it was easy, uh. you know, because part of this is you have to be judicious in what you pick because otherwise you just get overwhelmed. And then also for me, typing it out, I, it's these quotations that I love for whatever reason. And I kind of understand how they're put together better when I actually write them out myself. Somehow I understand them and remember them better. It's like you're curating your thoughts. Yes, exactly. But you have to be a careful curator because otherwise it's just every, every bit of junk that ever caught your attention. Yeah. And the other thing I do is I, keep, I get nice um, notebooks. Like I have my podcast notebook. Yes. And my special, we mentioned it on the show, my special gold and white notebook. Yes, very fancy. Where I just collect random ideas for our podcast. I also get really nice folders from uh, this company, Russell and Hazel. They're oh, just yeah. pocket folders. And, and I have different book ideas that I want to work on. I put everything, you know, relating to one of those, those ideas into one of these folders. And then because they're appealing folders, yeah. I actually want to put things in them. And so I have like a book about Hawaii I've been wanting to write for, you know, 10 years. Who knows if I ever will, but when I, if I want to, I can just go to that folder and all of my Hawaii ideas are right there. Well, it's definitely true that good tools make work more pleasurable, like having attractive things that really serve their function. But also, I think you're exactly right. Like when the, when the point comes where you want to make something out of it, you'll have all this stuff ready that you could never recreate. Exactly. You, know, you could never sit down and have 10 years worth of random associations. And this is true. It's not just true if you're like, a, you know, a writer for your job or something. I mean, I think people who are quilters or who are sew or who cook, certainly. I mean, the way that people who love to cook keep recipes and ingredients put together. 
It, it's, it is. It's like curating your thoughts. That's exactly right. One of the ways uh, that always captured my attention is Twyla Tharp, you know, the famous choreographer. Yes. Her method was she would get one of those boxes like you get from Office Depot to put files in. And when she would start a new dance, she would write the project name on the box and then everything would go into that box. It could be a news clipping. It could be a video of her dancers rehearsing. It could be a toy that caught her imagination, art that inspired her. Anything would go into the box. And, and she said, if you want to understand me, you could do worse than starting with my boxes. And then it's like everything's tidy and put away and you put your box in the corner where you put your boxes. It's like, it's very satisfying in the way that your file folders are satisfying. It's like neat and organized and, and yet all those ideas are preserved in a, you know, you're saving the string. Yeah, you know, this reminds me of Gretchen. I read that Woody Allen, you know, ah. he writes a movie every year. And I read that he has a box or whatever at his desk of, ideas that he comes up with, uh, you know, over years, yeah. little bits of dialogue or some kernel of an idea. And when he's ready to write his new movie, he'll sit down and sift through those papers and often just pick one and start writing a screenplay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's just about hanging on to those little bits of string because you never know when the opportunity will come to turn them into something. Yeah. How many good ideas have been written on the back of cocktail napkins? <laughs> Not enough. Many bad ideas, too. Don't lose that napkin. Too. If you've got it, hang on to it. If you try this at home, saving string, let us know what uh, metaphorical string you save. Reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook. Email us at podcast at GretchenRubin.com or post a comment on my blog, GretchenRubin.com, and uh, tell us how you save your string and what you do with your string. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. I now work with a team, and I am here to say that finding the right candidate and hiring the right candidate is one of the very biggest and most important challenges to anyone who has a small business. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Now, this week we have an interview with my friend, the brilliant singer, songwriter, and author Roseanne Cash. Now, Roseanne has had terrific success both in songwriting and in all kinds of writing. In music, we can't even list all of her accomplishments, which include countless hit singles and two gold records. So just to report on what's happened in the last few months, she just won three Grammy Awards for the beautiful and very personal album she released last year, The River and the Thread. In writing, she's written fiction, essays, a children's book, a memoir. She's been published everywhere. 
But I have to say my favorite is her memoir, Composed, where she talks about everything from her first childhood memories to what it was like going on the road with her legendary father, Johnny Cash, to talking about all her creative processes and her career, the highs and lows, uh, and talking about her own children, including her youngest child, her son, Jake Leventhal. Uh, More about him in a second. Before we begin, here's a clip of my favorite song off the river in the thread. It's called Modern Blue. To Barcelona on the midnight train. I walk the streets of Paris in the pouring rain. I flew across an island in the northern sea. And I ended up in Memphis, Tennessee. I keep my head. Hello, Roseanne. Um, I'm sure everyone's wondering, hey, Gretchen, how did you become friends with someone as super cool as Roseanne Cash? Um, And there's a very simple answer for that, um, because it just so happens that our children are dating. Her excellent son, Jake, is dating my daughter, Eliza. They're both 16 and go to school together. And so, Roseanne, it's so exciting to have you here on the podcast. (laughs) I'm excited about what we're going to talk about when the mics are off. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's when it's really going <laughs> to... Down and dirty teenage love. <laughs> well, everyone knows you, I, I think, principally because of your music. But I, Roseanne, read your memoir long before I actually met you. I had re- read your memoir several years before we met because I love reading memoirs of artists. Mm-hmm. And um, there is one passage in your book that I've, I've never forgotten since I read it for the first time. And so as a special treat, we were going to ask you to read it. Um, and this is, this is, you set it up so beautifully that there's, you were 20 years old and that, that you had an epiphany and that there are very few days in your life where you think that something irrevocable happened. And this is your description of just sort of a moment that happened to you. And it just haunted me ever since. So it'd be great to have you read it. I'm happy to. Let me set it up a little bit. I was in Jamaica. My dad owned this 18th century great house in Jamaica. And his best friend, John Rollins, owned a house nearby. And this was the night before I moved to London Uh, by myself. Wow. So here's the passage you requested. Jeff and Ted Rollins, John's sons, a few years younger than I, had followed me down to the beach. They tended to follow me around a lot in Jamaica. The boys sat very quietly on the sand as I stared at the sky and listened to the waves. More than an hour went by in this reverie with the boys just waiting for me, never saying a word. I cannot remember the specifics of any epiphanies, only that I was overcome with a vague but grand sense of limitless possibility for my life and an almost painful feeling of excitement and happiness. It seems impossible now to think of being so full of feelings that were utterly unambiguous. I don't believe I have felt so strong a rush of unadulterated optimism and joy since that night. I was happy without the slightest tinge of poignancy or underlying anxiety about how my plans for the future might affect anyone else. Anything could happen to me, and whatever it might be could only be magnificent. 
Oh, I just, I, I just love that. And then later on, you describe the two boys as the gargoyles uh, <laughs> yeah. guarding your dreams. It's just so beautiful. Yeah. Um, so that's from your memoir, Composed, which, as I said, I've, I, I really love. But so one of the things that I think is super interesting is creative habits. Like, and so you had this moment of, in, of feeling intense possibility, uh, but then the mission of your life becomes to turn that into creation. And you've done so much, you've accomplished so much. Are there, are there habits that you follow or things that you've learned about yourself, about how you go about maintaining your creativity, fostering it, keeping yourself from getting so run down you can't have a new thought? Like, how do you think about that? Yeah, well, I do let myself get so run down I can't have a new thought. <laughs> but then I start to feel bad and anxious, and I know that I have to pull myself back. Uh-huh. And... You know, I have five kids, so one thing yeah. I learned early on was to write something down when it occurred to me because it was going to be lost right. if I didn't. <laughs> and yes. and to have a lot of pens and pencils because little children always want your pens and pencils. Yeah. So really simple things like that. And do you and do you have like a notebook or? Oh, I have so many, Gretchen. So many notebooks. I'm, I have stacks of notebooks, and I also have tons of of notes on my phone. Ah. Um, Everywhere, and I have files of um, you know unfinished lyrics, songs in progress. It's everywhere. I'm kind of unorganized in that way. It's all over the house, but I know where it all is. Wait, do I remember a story from your memoir where, like, your husband John, who you do a lot of creative work with, and we should get into that, uh, like, just came across some scrap of paper yeah. and was like, "This is really amazing," and 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 you were like, "Oh yeah, I kind of forgot about that." Yeah, so, exactly. so he's like going around. Like, <laughs> I left some completed lyrics just lying on the Forgotten. ping pong table. I swear, and he found them and he said. What is this? I said, oh, I forgot I wrote that. And then he wrote the music to it. Oh, so, but so do you think that there's often kind of a creativity that comes from sort of that unexpected juxtaposition or sort of the serendipity of stuff lying around? Like, is there kind of a method to disorganization in a way? Well, now that you're asking about it, I realize that my creativity depends on that. Ah. That, um, it helps me open my mind further if there's this. I wouldn't say chaos, but um, disorderliness uh-huh. um, because it gives me uh, more possibilities for juxtaposition. Right. Like, uh, you know, it's all over and I'm writing something. Oh, right. I forgot. I, I have something else in another book that might right. fit in. And because it's that way rather than a single notebook and right. nine to five, it helps me. Right. But that's me. I wouldn't right. say that's right for everybody. Well, I think that's true of, of just about every habit is that it's interesting to hear what works for one particular person because you can't then generalize, but it's useful sometimes to hear how somebody else thinks about it. That was the most liberating concept I learned from your book. Oh. Because I, I always felt this twinge of badness about how I worked. Like, well, uh, I should be like A.M. Holmes yes. and sit, or you, and right. sit down at nine and really work and break for lunch. I can't do it. Right. It doesn't work for you. No. Yeah. Do you know what kind of personality type? Well, I'm type O. <laughs> Me too. Me too. I'm, I'm an obliger. An obliger. Yeah. All my favorite people are obligers. So, but you do a lot of work with your husband. You do a lot of creative yeah. work with him. You perform with him. Um, now, Elizabeth, I know you have a lot of thoughts about uh, working with a spouse. Like, how, how did that go for you and Adam when you were working together? Yeah, well, I just wanted to ask because I met my husband. I'm a TV writer. I met him working on a show called The Shield, and it was great. But since then, I find when we try to work together, we sort of go from zero to 10 
you know, to anger very quickly because we're so close. Uh, do you guys get into those sort of intense fights about the creative process or have, are you just past it now because you've been doing it for oh, so long? Oh, no fights at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, Never. we definitely still fight. What we've learned is how to get over it much more quickly uh-huh. and how to make it serve the work rather than it turn into pillow talk, you know, or turn into personal like, you know, well, what do you mean you don't like that note I sang? You're so hurtful. (laughs) (laughs) You always do this. You never do this. Yeah. Um, Well, it's interesting, though, Elizabeth, because when you were on The Shield, you were more collaborating and Roseanne and John are collaborating. And now you and and Adam are in a position where you're sort of advising each other about your, your, your work that you're doing separately. I wonder if that's a different kind of dynamic. Maybe it would be better or worse, but it's just different. Yeah, that's true. It's like I've put all this work into something and then someone's coming in afterward as opposed to you're creating it together. Uh, But does it bleed into can you ever not talk about work, Roseanne, or is it just you love it and it's just what you do all the time? Oh, sure. We talk about it a lot outside of the studio or outside of, you know, performance. But we also are interested in a lot of things, films and politics and, you know, books and our children. (laughs) And yeah, we need to take breaks from it because it can be all consuming. I'm sure you found that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And do you and do you feel like that also bolsters your creativity to have somebody right there you can be bouncing ideas off all the time? Or do you feel like that's something that almost has to be overcome to get stuff from the outside? For me and John, he can be very hard on me. Ah. Um, and not, like high standards? Yes, high standards yeah. hard, not punitive hard. Right, but right. Um, And sometimes I want to get away from that and go to somebody who thinks I'm just great. Everything <laughs> I do is great. <laughs> You're awesome. <laughs> You're so awesome. Yeah. Every word yeah. out of your mouth is just so awesome. <laughs> First take. There we go. We did it. Yeah. 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 Right. I mean, it's, this is classic. The other or last year I was doing a a guest session on somebody else's album and John we were in Nashville and it was this band um hardworking Americans and they asked me to sing on the song so John just went with me to hang out this is so unusual for John he does not go hang out at other <laughs> sessions so he was He's sitting kind in of a workaholic he, he is yeah. he is so he was wor- sitting in the other room and I finished the session and we left he didn't say anything I said so how'd you like it he goes I would have pushed you harder. <laughs> but in a way, that's a compliment, too. Yeah. But it gets tiring. <laughs> it gets exhausting. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you guys travel so much. So yeah. how do you maintain your sanity, your creativity, uh, a happy marriage, all that stuff uh, while you're traveling so much? Well, you know, we get to the point regularly where I say, I'm getting a separate room. <laughs> I can't deal with you anymore. But it never fails that once we get on stage ah. and I see him play and I remember why I love him so much because I see his essence, that beauty and that art that comes out of him and see him giving his best self to the audience and collaborating with other musicians in this really generous and also he's he's a leader, you know, he's a uh, musical director. So right. this re- he has it together. He has the whole picture together. I see that and like the rest of it just seems petty. It's like, why am I mad at him? Right. See who right. this person is. Right. Well, I, I, I think... talked to a Diana Krall about this because she's married to Elvis Costello. Ah. And I know very few women who are also married to other musicians. Ah. And 
She's, we talked about that, and she said, it's the same for me. I could be so angry with him, and I see him on stage, and I fall in love again. The spotlight burns it away. Yeah. Which is, you know, which is a, interesting a metaphor. But. From the outside, you might think it would only intensify it. It's interesting that it act, it's actually sort of a purifying uh, intensity. Well, a great performer, you know, the revelation that happens and, yeah. and the art and you, the mastery, the if focus. they've been working for 35 years yeah. doing it, it's powerful. It's really powerful. It brings back the love. So we have a segment on the podcast uh, called Try This at Home, which is supposed to be a, a small, actionable thing that you can try at home that makes you happier, healthier, or more productive. So um, do you have a try this at home you would like to suggest? Um, I do. You know when you're working and these critical voices come up uh, where yeah. you say, this is no good. Why am I yeah. doing this? I'll never be as good a songwriter as Bob Dylan. It's <laughs> pointless. I never have that particular thought. <laughs> but, but you I, know, I, I get you the, know. Yeah. it's like, oh, yours yeah. is probably Tolstoy. Yeah, right, I'll yeah, never yeah, write yeah. Anna Karenina. Yeah, right, Why yeah. am I bothering? <laughs> yeah. And I, well, I did this once, and it was so helpful. I should do it again, actually. I drew them. I drew oh. the voices. Oh. And they were really ugly little creatures and then I drew like 10 of them and I called them the committee and I made a t-shirt you're kidding no so there's a t-shirt called the committee with these ugly creatures on it and I if when those voices come in to stop me I just think of that and like okay you guys go to the end and I'll call you when I need to edit oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> right hold your fire that's so great though because then you sort of externalize yes. them and make them into this this exactly. caricature of themselves exactly and diffuse their power oh brilliant well thank you so much that's a great try this at home my pleasure okay now this might be an impossible question to answer do you have a favorite song of your own like, is it like you cannot possibly pick because they're all so precious to you? Or is there one, like, deep in your heart you have to say because it was your first or your most recent or the, the most difficult or the easiest? or It's not static. And also, because I've been doing it for over 35 years, it changes over time. So, like, oh, the songs. Interesting. Okay. The songs. I have relationships with songs. So the songs I wrote in my 20s yeah. and 30s, I'm not that woman anymore. But so it's, it's like I, your college perfume. Yeah, you still love it. But. I still love it. I appreciate it from a distance. And I go, oh, she was so young. How did she write that? So I love those songs in that way. And the more recent songs I'm invested in uh, now. Right. And I know what the process of writing them. I remember the process of writing them. Some of the early ones, I don't even remember right. the process. Right. And that's precious to me. So, and also it depends on what mood I'm in. Do you go back and listen to your old stuff? Never. Never. Maybe once every three years I'll listen to something. I could never listen to a whole album. Because it would just be so emotionally intense? No, because because I hear what I would do differently now. Oh, right. So. It's like, oh, why did I... Why did I have the drums up that loud? Why didn't I sing that note differently? You know, it's like right. endless. So I just don't even go there. Right, 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 right. But yeah. so if you have, right, right now at this moment in your life, knowing that it, tomorrow you might make a completely different choice, um, is there a song that you would say kind of like is the one that's closest to your heart? Right now it would be When the Master Calls the Roll from the ah. newest record from The River and the Thread ah. for a lot of reasons. Um, one is that it was an incredibly intense process of writing it over a few months, uh -huh. and they were about characters outside myself, my own Civil War ancestors, right. 
and those characters came alive, and I thought about them when I woke up, and I thought about them when oh, I went to sleep. And I wrote it with my husband and my ex-husband, ooh, who's ooh. a great, great songwriter, Rodney Crowell. And it was sparked by Jake. Uh, be- you're, you're be- amazing My son, son because they were doing, remember the kids did that Civil yes. War project in eighth grade? Yes. And I said, do you know you have cash ancestors on both sides? And uh, I went on the Civil War database to uh, show him, and there was a picture of William Cash. Wow. And I called Rodney, and I said, write, write uh, some lyrics with me in the tradition of those great Appalachian narrative ballads. Oh, right. And then John had written this beautiful melody. So the way it all came together, and my daughter was involved peripherally too because she had written a Civil War song. And I loved it, and I said, oh, I've always wanted to do that. So it was sort of like your ancestors, your family, your divorced husband. And then the the most... Um, heightened experience of songwriting I've had, how oh. how visceral it was physically. You know, a lot of tears, a lot of dreams. It was just amazing. Okay, well, now we have to take a second and listen to a bit of When the Master Calls the Roll. And so, Roseanne, thank you so much oh, for thank coming you, by. Both of you, it's a pleasure. So the open letter the newsboy did Three months later, plans were made to wear down by the King James River. Lo, the season they come, lo, the season they go. What love is joined together will forever be made whole. When the master calls the And listen, if you didn't catch the names to everything we were talking about, don't worry. I'll put links to everything uh, on my site, GretchenRubin.com. For each each episode, I have a special post just for that episode. And so look for the post for episode 22. There are some stories about our father's life that I truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, his retelling of the events always brings me joy. Just in time for Father's Day, I found the perfect gift that captures all his stories for our family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your father or father figure's life for years to come. And Gretsch, you get a book of all these stories. And I love just keeping a book on the coffee table and anyone from any generation can see a story from dad, like what was his favorite toy or what was his first job? Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. Give all the fathers in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com happier. That's storyworth.com happier to save $10 on your first purchase. All right, Gretch, I know you have a creative happiness to merit. Yeah, yes, I do. So something that I've written about several times on my blog and in my books is something that I call drift. And drift is the decision that you make by not deciding or by taking making a decision because it's just less hassle because you don't want to get in a fight with somebody or because you can't be bothered to figure out what else you want to do. So you just drift into a decision. And I've written about it. And I actually gave a talk at something called 5 by 15. I gave a 15-minute talk 
about Drift, which I worked really hard on that talk. And I'll post it if anybody wants to see it. And I also made a personal vow to myself that is whenever I speak to undergraduates or graduate students, I always talk about Drift because I think it's a really, really, really important thing to think about um, if you're in school. Yeah, you drifted into law school. I drifted into law. I drifted into law school and all the way through law school and two years out of law school. <laughs> I am a major. Yes, I, I speak from the heart when it comes to drift because I experienced it. Everything worked out fine in the end, but often it does not. And drift, I, I, I fear drift because the word makes it sound like it's sort of easy and effortless, but actually you can work like a dog and be drifting. And so I keep thinking, and, and, and it comes up, like people will ask me about it or, uh, you know, how did you go from law to writing? And I keep thinking, I've done a lot of work on this, and I think it's a really, it's something that's really important to me as a subject, and I should just turn it into something. I, you know, we talk about finishers and openers, like I want to mm-hmm. finish this, mm-hmm. but somehow I just never make time for it. Um, and, I, and I just recently did take a step where I found the text of the talk that I gave you know, I sort of lost it in the, all the files yeah. of my computer as that happens. I found it. And, and I keep thinking, oh, yeah, I got it. And I, what I should do is probably like take a week or something. I don't think it would even take that long. Uh, but I just need to focus on it. And so I give myself a demerit because this is something that's been sort of nagging at me creatively for years. Uh, and I think I would get a lot of satisfaction out of turning it into something. I don't even know what it should be. Should it be like a little PDF that people can print out? Should it be right. a little pamphlet? Um, should it be an article? I don't know, but I should do something with it. So that's my demerit is I, I have this, this is string that has been saved, but that is just uh-huh. sitting around in the bottom of the box gathering lint. Um, so that's my demerit. Oh. How about you? What's your gold star? What's your gold star? Okay. Uh, and I'm going to ask for an update on that in a few oh, weeks. Oh, yeah. Okay, maybe so make it a couple months. It. I think I need, I need a little, I still okay. need some <laughs> runway on that one, but I, I will get back to you. Okay. Well, Gretchen, I have a gold star this week. Uh, I have to set it up a little bit. You know, uh, in my job, uh, I work in what we call the writer's room. So we go on a TV show and you always have a writer's room and that's where the writers gather to uh, come up with story ideas and, and we figure out all the episodes and it's really where we spend the majority of our time. And the, the writer's room can be a very happy place <laughs> and it can be a very sad place. <laughs> So it can be both. filled with laughter or <laughs> tears, literally. <laughs> but also romance, right, Elizabeth? Didn't you didn't you fall in love with Adam in the writer's room of the Shield? That is absolutely true. Yeah. So romance uh, is less common, <laughs> but it does happen, as we uh, are evidence of. Anyway, my gold star goes to the creator of the show I'm working on, which is called The Family. Her name's Jenna Bands, uh-huh. and she has just created she's created a great atmosphere in the writer's room where I think it, she's really fostering everyone's creativity by having a place where you don't feel like everyone is going to jump uh. on you or be really nasty about your ideas, which can happen. And so it's like you are free to have better ideas because you're free to have bad ideas. And I think that's important for the, for the creative collaboration. If you can't sort of put yourself out there, then you're going to be safe and not take those creative risks, which always leads to the best material. Right, sort of enjoy the fun of failure. Exactly. Without feeling like you're judged every single second, or you're going to get fired or made fun of. So I just give her a big gold star for creating what I think is an incredibly productive, pleasant uh, working atmosphere. Well, so here's my question, though, Elizabeth. Uh, gold star to her, because that is a, 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 an accomplishment as a leader to create that. But given that you work in an, in Hollywood where everybody 
wants everybody to be as creative as possible. Why do you think that people don't seem to make more of an effort to create that kind of atmosphere? Because it sounds like it's pretty rare. Um, why don't why, just out of sheer self-interest and greed? Why why don't people work harder to make sure that they foster that kind of environment? Well, uh, you know, as writers, we're very insecure often. We're, um, we live with a lot of anxiety. We tend to be neurotic. Uh, some of us have huge overblown egos. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you bring all that and all these different types into a space and it's sort of like, it doesn't always bring out the best. Uh, and that's, and I, I'm sure a lot of creative, um, situations are similar to that. And this is just the one I'm familiar with, but I don't want to say it's rare. I just want to say that it's not always a pleasant place. And it's difficult to do, but it, it is, it's, it's great when it happens. So, yeah. Oh yeah. Gold star, gold star. And that's it for this episode of happier. Remember, try this at home, save your string. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you and what you did with your string. And also try Roseanne Cash's Try This at Home. Make a drawing of your committee and see if that helps you uh, get them to be quiet and shut up in your head. And also check out Roseanne's latest album, The River and the Thread. And uh, again, the name of her fantastic memoir is Composed. Thanks to our producer, the very creative Henry Malofsky. <laughs> Also, big thanks to Andy Bowers and Laura Mayer of Panoply, equally creative individuals. And if you want to make them really happy, fill out our survey, which is at panoply.fm survey. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Onwards and upwards. This podcast is part of the Panoply Network. Check out our entire roster of podcasts at itunes.com slash panoply. You act like you were just born tonight, face down in a memory, but feel it all right. So who does your past belong to today, baby? You don't say nothing when you're feeling this way. The girls in the bars thinking, who is this guy? But they don't think nothing when they're telling you lies. You look so careless when they're shooting that bull. Don't you know heartaches are heroes when their pockets are